Well, good morning once again to all of you and for those of you who are visiting us online. And uh, I hope Selby's are watching this morning. Uh, if you have not heard, Selby's had their baby boy, little Jimmy. And uh, he, they're all excited about it. And uh, a couple weeks early, but that's okay. Healthy. Six pounds, three ounces. And uh, so, Selby's, if you're watching, congratulations. And uh, can't wait to see the little guy. He looks cute already. Sorry, Nate doesn't take after you, it takes after your wife. <laughs> anyway, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, title the message, All Under the Same Judgment. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 24. 12 through 24, Romans chapter 2. And if you would, let's go ahead and follow along. I'm going to read the verse first, a few verses, and then I'm going to read the entire text. But we'll get into the message in just a couple minutes as we read. Romans chapter 2, beginning of verse 12. It says, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who did not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Lord, pray that you would meet with us this morning. Pray God that you speak to our hearts and Lord, illuminate the scriptures to us. Lord, that we may apply them to our hearts and our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now think about this just for a moment. How many of you honestly, let's just be honest, raise your hand if you said, I didn't get any of that. Come on. <laughs> All three of you are honest. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've been a child of God since I was a little kid, and I've read through the Bible pretty much most years between my 8th and ninth grade years on up. And every time I come to passages like this, I still say, huh? What in the world did I just read? That makes zero sense to me. So... Maybe understanding that I'm in the same boat as you. Now help me say I didn't get any of that. Two more of you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe some of you are just way smarter than I am. So let's kind of break it down just for a moment. And let's read that verse one more time, beginning verse 12. It says, For as many as have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when, just, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these things not having the law are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So, in all transparency, when we read passages like that, you say, well, I'm not really sure what exactly was said, not really sure how to understand that. So let's just kind of break it down just for a moment. So as we come into this next text of Scripture, we see that man, every man is accountable to God. And in the previous text, in verse 11, it said this. It says, for there is no partiality with God. Some of your translations may say, for God is not a respecter of persons. In other words, we're reminded there that there is no partiality with God. He's not a respecter of persons. 
and he will judge all mankind equally and justly. But there is this content or context in which the Jews thought they were just, well, just a little bit better than everyone else. And because they had what they had and they did what they did, that they would be kind of excused for not being perfect in all these areas. And God just comes along through his word and says, wait a minute, you're all under the law, you're all guilty, you're all going to pay the same price, I'm not a respecter of persons, and you're all without excuse. And so as we come into this text of scripture, they're basically finding these two groups of people, and at least a key characteristic of each of them. But let's just break that down just for a moment. So in verse 12 it says, For as many have sinned without the law. So there's this, first of all, there's the group of the Jewish people, and then there's the Gentile group of people. But he says, first of all, in this first group, he said, there are those, as we see in verse 12, as many have sinned without the law. In other words, they had not received the law yet. They didn't get the list yet. They didn't know what to do, what not to do, the holidays to observe, what not to observe. They are not under the law because they didn't receive the law yet. But guess what? It says, for as many as have sinned without having that law will also perish without law. So just because you didn't get the law doesn't mean you're not going to be judged. You're still going to be judged without the law. Okay. So then it goes on and says, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So now there's another group here within that same group of Jewish people that you've got the law. And by that very law that you've received, you're going to be judged by it. We'll say, how's that fair? The people without the law are going to be judged the same way as those with the law. Yep, that's exactly what's going to take place. It says, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God. So then he brings in another aspect, those that just hear the law. They may not receive it, but they heard about it. Guess what? Still going to be judged. No exceptions here. It says, uh, in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. In other words, there's a little caveat here, a little twist that he just throws in here. Those that actually obeyed, they did what they were supposed to. But he goes on here, it says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. So then wait a minute, now you've got the Gentiles, you've got all the Jews, those that received the law, those who didn't receive the law, they're going to be judged whether or not they got it or whether they didn't get it, they're still going to be judged, no exceptions. Then you've got the Gentiles, they didn't get the law because they're what? Not Jewish. They didn't get the Jewish laws. But guess what? They're doing some of the things that they're supposed to be doing, even though they weren't told they were supposed to be doing. How does that work out? Well, we're going to kind of bring this around here in a minute. So we see in these verses 12 through 16, there are two groups, very clearly, the Jewish people and the Gentile people. Jews, those having the written law, they can obey the law because they what? They have it. Then you have the Gentiles, who do not have the law, but they instinctively do some of the law, though they have not a written copy of it. But here's the reality. They're all going to be judged. And here it is. The standard for judging the Jewish folks is the law, and the standard for judging the Gentiles is their conscience and nature. Remember what it says back in Romans chapter 1, verse 20? It says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are what? What's the words? Without excuse. So when you say, well, wait a minute, how do these people who didn't get the law, why are they guilty? Because they look around, and we, as we said several weeks ago, they see creation, he says, they see God's power and his, his, uh, his, his Godhead by the very things that are in creation so that they are without excuse. 
Everyone is under the same penalty, the same judgment of God, whether Jew or Gentile. So the standard for judging the Jews, folks, was the law. The standard for judging the Gentiles was their conscience and nature. And each group will be judged by the basis of what they possess. They being their knowledge or the revelation of who God is, the Gentiles. The Jews, the law. So, here's an interesting thing found in verse 16. In verse 16 it says this. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So there will, be, there will be a day when even the secret parts of men will be judged. Now here's the thing. We all have secret parts. So well, not me. Everyone, everything's wide open. That, that may be true, but there are things that we can hide from everyone else. But here's what the secret parts. We're going to come back to this towards the end of the message. But the secret things, this phrase shows the thoroughness by which the judgment will take place. This is even the secret parts, the innermost parts. Why? Well, and we also know from God's word in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of what? Soul and spirit. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The very innermost things, the thing that nobody else sees but God knows. God sees. Will be judged of those things. And this phrase not only shows the thoroughness by which judgment will take place, this phrase also indicates that the innermost thoughts will be judged, not merely the outward actions of man. You see, in the Jews' Jewish mindset, it says, we have this law. We have this whole big law, and we know it. We've been given it, we know it, we practice it, we think. And because of this, we're better than everyone else. So by outward actions, we observe the holidays. We observe the do's and don'ts. We observe the knowledge of learning for learning's sake. And because of all these factors, we're just better than everyone else. See, they were all about the outward actions. But God says it's not just about the outward actions. The innermost thoughts will be judged. Now let's look at verse 17 and following. This is where he gets the details of, of how they're living laid out. Verse 17 says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know His will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Think about all these things. I mean, that's a, quite a credential list of things that, to be proud of, right? Here's the reality. There are really seven false realities here that they were clinging to. Seven things. And let me just say for a minute, yes, in truth, they are speaking of the Jewish people. But also these things can be applied to every one of us in this room this morning. We have a form of religion. And we say God doesn't want religion. He wants a relationship. But many, for too many, they practice their religion. It's all the do's, the don'ts, the, regu the regulations, the structures, the guidelines. And God says, I'm not about all those things. I'm literally about a relationship with you. You see, in a relationship, we live to please the person that we're in a relationship with. Why? Because we love them. And because we love them, we want to do what's right. So it's not about following the rules. It's about having a relationship. And here there are seven realities that were really false that they were clinging on to. And remember, just for a moment, before we get into these, chapter 2, verse 1 says this, 
Therefore you are what? Inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, for whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. They are inexcusable. He says, you are without excuse. But in their minds, we're just a little bit better than everyone else. Here's the seven false realities. First of all, you rest on the law. In fact, they had the law, right? That's kind of the whole premise of the entire basis, the basis, the foundation of it all, is that they had the law. And because they had the law, this is we rest on it. I mean, this is our book. This is what we follow. We got it. Nobody can take it from me. It's mine. This is what I'm resting on. Well, that's great. We got a law. We got a book that we rest on. But what's inside it? See, a lot of people have a book, the Bible. You say, I rest on the Bible. We have people all the time in Hollywood and actors and sports figures and you know, they want to chime in on what's going on in politics and culture and everything else. Say, well, I rest on the Bible. Are you resting on the whole council? Or just some parts that you like? Some parts that kind of fit your agenda? But they thought because they have the law and they had it all set up in their minds and their hearts that they were just going to be okay. So they said they rested in the law. Number two, he said, you boast in God and know His will. Question, do we know God and His will for us? I think most of us can say yes. I think most of us have studied the Word enough to know that, hey, we read the Word, we know it, and uh, we try to apply it. But he said, because we know the law, so we know God and we know His will. Number three, you approve things that are excellent having known the law. You know what is good, you know what's not good. Boy, does that not relate to us in Christianity today? We know what's good and what's not good. We, I mean, we really, we can relate. That same principle can be applied to our hearts and our lives. We know what's right. We know what's not. Man, we have that knowledge. Number four, you have confidence that you can guide the blind. And we're not talking about necessarily just the physically blind, but those who are without Christ, those who are without the law. We could sit down because they are blinded spiritually. We could sit down and teach them everything that they need to know to understand the law so that they too could rest in it. We have that knowledge. We have that ability that we can teach them. Number five. He says, you think you could be a light to those in darkness. Once again, we can apply that to Christianity, just like the Jews did to the law. We could be a light to those in darkness. I mean, we have a world around us that's dying and going to hell. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have the answer. We have the hope. We have the treasure. But what do we do with it? See the parallels? I mean, they're, they're the same, really, in so many regards. But we hold on to the fact that we have the truth. We have the knowledge. We can give light to, the, to, to those in darkness. And we can give uh, teaching to those that are blind and leadership to those that are blind. Goes on, number six. You think you could instruct the foolish. Yeah, those who are willfully ignorant, who choose to, make, to live in error. Yep, we could do that. We could take God's word and we could talk to the world around us who are making poor choices and poor decisions and say, hey, we have a solution to this. We can help you live a better life so they have better consequences. Yep, we could do that. It says finally, number seven, you think you could be a teacher to babes. We could too. But there are three things that we have to learn, at least three things that we need to be reminded of amongst these seven false realities. They thought that they could rest on the law. They thought they could boast in God and know His will. They thought they could approve the things that were excellent, having known the law. They thought that they could be a light to those in darkness. 
You, they thought they could instruct the foolish and be a teacher to babes. But here's three things to consider amongst these false realities. Number one, possessions are never enough. Possessions are never enough. They possessed it. But just having it, was that enough? No. Because everything that they knew, everything that they had, they would be held accountable for. It wasn't just enough to know it. Question, no. So we're going to kind of bring some application into this just for a minute. Those of you that have had children in your life, let's just give a couple of illustrations here. Number one, Susie, I want to teach you today how to wash the dishes. You know, I want you to turn the hot water on. Don't make it scalding, but make it more than lukewarm. Just kind of making sure it's kind of hot there. And then you put the dish soap in there and, you know, your dish rag. And you put all the, you know, this, this, these materials first. And if you do it right, you do the glass stuff first. You know, then you get everything else. You know, you have this system of doing it right. That's my system. But, you know, this is how you do it. You know, you can put all this stuff in the sink. You wash it really good. Make sure there's no spots on it. Make sure there's no streaks. Then you put it in the other side. Then you run hot water over there and rinse it all off. Then you start with this. Then you go, and you go through and you teach them a whole entire process of doing the dishes. And they walk away and say, thanks, great. I know how to do that now. Did you teach them so that they just know how to do it? Or did you teach them so that they would do it? Thank you, Aaron. Dads, you're going to teach your son how to take the riding lawnmower out. Say, this is how you, when you first get out there, you know, you, got, you, know, you turn it over, it doesn't want to quite start. You reach down, you pull the choke out a little bit, and then you get a little bit extra gas, and then you turn it on. And then you know, every time you take a, take a strip, you know, put that left tire on that leftover you know, strip of grass that you just did, and you know, make sure you overlap every turn. Dad, do you teach your kids to do it just so that they would know how to do it, or that they would do it? So question, do we learn all these things from God's word and was it good enough just for the Jews to learn everything about it but not to do it? Or did God have other intentions for them? I've given you the law that you might what? Obey it. Possession of the law is never enough. Possession in and of itself is never enough. Number two, the law necessitates practice. If I'm going to know these things, I must do them. Because James says, he that is a hearer of the word, not a doer of the word, is what? Deceiving himself. It gives us a, a, a false sense of hope that we're actually better than we are because we have this knowledge. You know, the law necessitates practice. The law necessitates obedience. What we know of God's word, we'll be held accountable for it, whether or not we practice the things that are in it. So it's not just enough to know it, we must do it. And then number three, the Jews saw the law as protection. Well, I have the law, and we know all these rules and regulations, and this is how we are supposed to do the, the, observe the holidays and the special occasions, and this is you know, what we're not supposed to do on certain days, and we have the law. And because we have it, we're just a step above everyone else. Eh, not true. You're still held accountable because the Jews saw the law as protection. But no, because what they knew they were responsible to keep. And how true is that for you and I as believers in Christ? That we will one day stand and give an account for what we know and what we do and how we live. But here's the problem. If we look on our text here once again, uh, beginning with verse 21. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? 
You who say, do not commit adultery, do, do you not commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you not rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Six things here he brings up. You have a form of knowledge and truth in the law. Just a form. The question is, what are we doing with it? So you know it. You have it. It's in your possession. You've been given it. What are you doing with it? Number two, you teach others, but you don't teach yourselves. Look what he's saying here. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You're teaching others, but you don't teach yourself? Do what I say, not as I do. That's the correct statement, right? No, but that's what they were basically in essence saying. Number three, you steal and tell others not to steal. Do as I say, not as I do. You just have to know that you should not steal. But he says, those years, telling other people, are you stealing yourself? Or are you who commit adultery and tell others not to commit adultery? I love what it talks about in James about adultery. See, in our minds, as soon as I say that word, we say that's a terrible, horrible word, and it is. But adultery doesn't just have to be about a relationship of sexual nature. Adultery can also be in the form of how we live our life. In James it talks about spiritual adultery. You have a relationship with me as your Heavenly Father, yet you're in an affair with the things of the world. Ouch. Adultery is always wrong. Not just sexual, but also spiritual. He says, you who commit adultery, tell others not to do it. You who abhor idols, but yet you steal from the temple. Hypocrisy. You boast in the law, yet you break it. Look at verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He's referring to the Jewish people, right? He says God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Why? Because in front of the Gentiles, we're better than you are. We have more knowledge than you. We have the law. You don't. We know all the things to observe. You don't. We are better than you in every way, shape, and form. The reality is we are better than you. We're a notch above you. We have it. And he says, "Mm, hypocrisy. You're saying one thing, doing another. And he says, you're blaspheming, blaspheming the name of God. Because you are a hypocrite. Ouch. Once again, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, how much different could it really be said of us? In many regards that we know what's right. We have God's Word. We know what He expects because He tells us. We know how to live a a life of obedience and faith and and trust in Him that pleases Him. And yet... We think ourselves a little bit better than the world because they don't have these things. One day we're all going to stand before God and give an account. What did we do with what God gave us? What do we do with what God gives us from day to day? So how might we apply the things that we see concerning the Jewish people in regards to the Gentile people? How might we make some application to our life today? 
I, I think there's just three things that we can that we can do. And there may be others, but three things that came to my mind. The first one is found in James chapter two. James chapter two, verse nineteen says this. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. I think number one, we have to realize that knowledge is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. See, there are a lot of people who know the truth, but choose to reject it. There are a lot of people who say, well, I know all the details, but they don't practice it. And we could talk about all the different things that we could teach our kids and our coworkers and our family members and we could teach them how to do it, but if they don't do it, is knowledge enough? No. Knowledge is never enough. The devils believe and tremble. The devils believe. They know who God is. The demons, I should say, believe and tremble. So knowledge is not enough. That's the first thing. Number two, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Matthew 7, 22 says this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Number two, action is not enough. Action is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. Action is not enough. You're still going to be judged before God one day. Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform many miracles? Did we not prophesy in your name? He says, depart from me, I never knew you. But we did, we did, we did, we did, we did. I went to church and I gave to the poor, I helped those in need, I helped out on work day, I, 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 was a, I, was a, I tried to be a picture of Jesus to a neighbor. He says, wait a minute, a lot of people do a lot of things. Actions are not enough. And I think there's one more, th a third thing that we can learn from this, found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, and for a man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Number three, actions don't always portray the real heart. See, we can look around and we say, well, so-and-so here is here at church every Sunday. Every time the doors open, they are here. They must be godly. They must be spiritual. They're here when the doors are open. Really? That's an outward appearance thing. Man sees the outward appearance. Actions don't always portray the real heart. I think of the Pharisees in the New Testament. Oh, they did everything so that man would see them. Hey, <laughs> I'm getting, uh, hey, just so you know, I'm putting a little money in the offering. I, just, I want you to see this. Everybody catch that? Put it in the offering plate. Does their action reveal their heart? In that case it does. Why do we do what we do? Is it out of a heart of love to obey the Lord? Or can it be very much like these Jewish people who thought, well, I have it all together. It's all neatly packaged. It's in the box. I'm set, ready to go. And they thought because of everything that they had, what they possessed, what they knew, they were going to be somehow better than everyone else in the end. But in the end, they were still going to give an account and be judged the same as everyone else. 
Knowledge is not enough. Some of you, I fear, know a lot about the Bible. You know a lot about what it means to know Jesus. But yet, your heart is far from God. What do you say in Jeremiah and Isaiah? There are a couple different passages that were talked about the idols. These people who were bound down to false idols, and they, and, and, and they were confronted with their sinfulness. And he says, listen, you guys worship me with your mouth. You, you, you shed tears in your eyes, and yet your heart is far from me. People put on a good show. But God knows our heart. Knowledge is never enough. Action is never enough. Just because you're here every week doesn't mean that you know Jesus, unfortunately. It would be wonderful if that was the case. But the reality is some come because they know they should. They come because it's the acceptable thing. They come because their friends are there. But have you truly trusted Jesus? And number three, actions don't always portray the real heart. There are a lot of people who do things to be seen. They do things because maybe they know it's right. Dr. Ola used to always tell us in Bible college the definition of obedience is this. Doing what you know you're supposed to be doing with the right heart attitude. So he said this. If you're told to take out the trash and you go... <laughs> took out the trash, did you obey? No. Because your attitude stunk. Obedience... God is concerned not just with what you do, but how you do it. He wants obedience. And obedience includes our right attitude. So I don't know about you, but when I read through this list of things of, that were true of the Jewish people, how they thought they were going to be just a step above, how they're going to you know, miss the judgment because of who they were and what they possessed, like, man, that's really easy for us to do as well. We know Jesus. We're set. But what do we do with what we know? The law demands that it be obeyed and practiced. Our knowledge of Jesus Christ demands that we walk in obedience and righteousness and holiness before God. And that's a matter between us and Him. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that we would not just have a form of godliness. I pray that our walk with you would not just be based on what we know or what we do or what we want others to think, but Lord, that it would really be a heart of love that wants to serve you and follow you because of our faith in you. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, that we might learn from the mistakes of the Jewish people here. And one day, Lord, we will all stand before you and give an account. Lord, I pray you would speak to our hearts. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just a simple opportunity we do each and every week to respond to the things that we've heard. I hope that what we have in Jesus is not just outward appearance. I hope that what we possess is not just what we want others to think and see, but that we would truly know Jesus and truly want to walk in obedience with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm challenged when I see stuff like that because I've, it seems like the longer we know Jesus, the easier it is, or the easier it becomes to just go through the motions. Because this is what we've always done. This is what we do. But do you truly know Jesus, and are you walking with him? Not for what others may think or see, not because of what you may think or do, but because of who we are in Jesus Christ.
Peskin this morning, God's challenged my heart that I need not be hypocritical, that I need to follow through and truly walk in obedience out of a right heart attitude, not to be like the Jewish people. Say, Peskin, that's my desire. Would you pray for me this morning? Yes. On the back and the side. Yes. Yes. In the middle. Yep. Many of you are shaking your heads. We want to be real before God. We want to be authentic followers, not just what others may see or believe or think, but what God knows to be true of us. Can I just challenge all of us who have raised our hand and our heart towards the Lord this morning to learn from these Jewish people, to not believe falsely that somehow we're going to you know, miss the judgment, that somehow we're going to not be held to the high standard of walking with God. Because we are all going to stand before God one day. Can I just challenge all of us to just take a moment and pray? Lord, help us to be real. Lord, help us not just to, to think that somehow because we have a Bible, because somehow we go to church, or because of somehow of what I may think or feel that I'm going to just be a little bit better than everyone else, or a little bit more secure one day when I die. Or, Lord, I pray that truly we would have a relationship with you, that truly you would speak to our hearts, because we're all going to be judged the same. No one's going to escape it. No one's going to get lesser judgment. We'll all be judged fairly and equally and justly from God. Might we stand before you with confidence, Lord, knowing that we've walked in obedience. And be with each one who raised their hand and their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that we would Lord, learn day by day to follow you in obedience with the right heart attitude. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.